0: Moving Iron Podcast is proud to be part of the Global Ag Network. The network is live, so check out globalagnetwork.com for more details and updates. Now on to the show.
1: Moving Iron in the 21st century, hardware
0: Two moving down our podcast markets with Chip Nellinger. Chip, how you doing this morning? Hey, doing well. How you doing, Casey? I'm not too bad. So we have got a uh, lot of stuff happening right now. So this week, last few weeks, we've lost about everything we've had. And this week, we've kind of been on the rebound a little bit. Looks like there's been some, some positive uh, news out there that kind of relates back to what's going on. Maybe some people are actually starting to kind of get a, a grip on reality a little bit as to what the crop condition looks like. And then Monday, we got that big... WASDE report coming out and that's going to be a uh well trendsetter for what happens for the rest of the year probably up to that january report so talk about uh, what's happening out there right now chip
2: definitely a trendsetter this thing is uh kind of unprecedented uh acreage resurvey they um they've done one of these uh i don't know when it was maybe 2013 uh, another late year but nothing like this year um so they changed the way they're going to do it a little bit at least leads to kind of confusion. It's unprecedented. We don't know what they're going to come up with. Um, you're going to use satellite imagery. They're going to uh, visually look at uh, actual fields. They're going to uh, then try to incorporate some preliminary FSA prevent plant data. We're also going to get the uh, first FSA uh, prevent plant uh, data dump on, on, uh, on Monday um, at the same time. That's unprecedented. That they come out with that during market hours at 11 a.m. Central. So uh, the market literally—I've never seen a report that um, opinions are so far apart. It, it, this is no exaggeration. Um, Ten million acres, um, low to high, on um, what they expect with corn acres. So what that says is somebody's probably going to be shocked in this deal. Um, there's probably going to be massive amount of volatility. And I think you hit the nail on the head. This is going to really um, set the stage for, um, you know, the rest of uh, summer and and going into fall and even setting us up into winter. So it's a very important report. Uh, On top of that, we are uh, in the midst right here, uh, basically from the eastern third uh, of Iowa in through um, central Illinois and on in through northern and central Indiana uh, of uh, a real dry stretch here. Uh, fortunately it hasn't been uh, as hot as it normally gets in August you know we're in the um, mid to upper 80s maybe touching 90 uh, but it is dry and I mean dry like um, three to four tenths basically half of an inch or less since July 4th in many of those areas I just mentioned so um, corn is you know obviously late this year so you've got a lot of corn that's pollinating and you know just getting into um uh you know grain fill and uh, so it's an important time frame and nobody knows about yield that's going to take uh, a couple uh, you know sub- several more reports to kind of figure out but uh, yeah we are uh, racing into monday and uh, all eyes are on the the acreage number and um you know if anyone uh, tells you they know what the usa is going to say you better run away from them because it is uh, a total wild card
1: yeah.
0: No, I've been reading reports and looking at articles and stuff like that. And I've heard everything from, you know, 92 million acres got planted to 78 million acres got planted. Yeah. I mean, that's a huge swing and stuff. And when that actually comes out, especially this year when they're going to actually use science, you know, all the technology out there they can use to, to figure out what that actual planned report is. It's probably more accurate now than it's been ever in the history of them doing this report so i'm looking forward to see what happens and and whatever happens one way or the other it's going to be one extreme or another there's not going to be just a because nobody's nobody's guessing there's nothing baked into this yet so it's
2: going to be interesting to see what happens yeah that's right and that's why i think we've seen a little bit of a rally here uh number one the dry weather um it is affecting things it's hard it's really hard for the market to figure that out like what's going on out in the field um it's it's just really a, a a year. Let's hope we don't have many more years like this. It's really unprecedented, uh, and it's really hard for the market to figure out what's going on out in the field and where are we at in maturity. There's you know stuff that was planted in uh, in early May. There's stuff that was planted uh, the last ten days of June. Uh, everywhere in between. Um, so it it is just uh, it's kind of a nightmare scenario. But like you said, hopefully we get a little guidance on. At least the the acreage side of this, I'm hoping that it, it can kind of put to bed some of the questions and that we're not scratching our heads at uh, you know 11:30 next uh, next Monday thinking what what just happened you know and and have more questions than answers uh, like you said uh, they um, is going to be pretty thorough uh, you know using um, uh, you know some technology with satellite imagery as well as visual on the ground uh, checks and then kind of cross-referencing that hopefully with some, uh, FSA data. They don't have all the, the, um, you know, the numbers, but they would go, um, you know, I would think they would have a lot of it. So it, uh, it's going to be one for, uh, one for the record books. Once you, we get that out of the way and at least get one, one piece of the puzzle a little more, uh, you know, solidified, hopefully.
0: And on top of that, is it next week or the week after next, uh, Pro Farmer does their, their corn tour. Um, so on top of that, so that's going to even level some more, uh, make that even more solid across the board when you start looking at true actual data that's out there.
2: Yeah, I believe that's a week after uh, that Pro Farmer does that. And uh, yeah, the market will be hanging on that. They always hang on that every year. It's an important uh, crop tour. Um, uh, you know, just from the standpoint of they do it at the same time every year. They go the same routes every year and uh, they certainly don't cover the, uh, you know, entire corn Belt uh, by any stretch, but it's consistent. And they, and um, so the market really watches that they'll be looking for, uh, for information, you know, daily from that. And now with Twitter, you get, you know, kind of yeah. up to the minute, uh, you know, tweets on that. I went on that three years ago and um, it it's, it's an in-depth process. So that will be something that's, that's coming out here and you know, weather also is getting, getting critical. There's not a lot of rain in the forecast here uh, for this Eastern corn belt where it um, it's the driest. So, you know, it's getting really critical and uh, there's just no question that if we don't start getting some rain um, it is uh, it's going to take us backwards we are going to start seeing tip back. You're going to start seeing uh, I mean, even issues on the beans that uh, beans like some dry weather, but, I, I don't know. I mean, it is a—it's it, a scary deal. I mean, I just continue to drive by bean fields in Illinois. You, you some of them are just aren't going to close the rows. I mean, you see dirt down the rows still, and they're knee high, and they just look like they haven't grown for a long time. So I, I just can't scratch my head wondering how good these beans can be. Um, and it's not a small area that they're like that. It is <laughs> the better part of. Illinois and Indiana uh, that I've seen I haven't really been out of that area this summer but uh, Illinois and Indiana um, bean fields really are making me scratch my head wondering how good can these beans be yeah that's that's the other thing so two weeks ago when I
0: met you in Peoria and we had we had our little rundown together there I drove from Scotts Bluff all the way across Nebraska all the way across Iowa and you know middle through uh, middle of Illinois there and and you no know, the corn was as different stages i mean depending on when it got planted one side of the road was six foot tall fully tasseled corn and then right across the way was knee-high corn or waist-high corn that you know looked like it got planted you know it looked like it was about first of may and then you start turning around and look at the beans But that, that was the one thing i saw every bean field that i went by they looked all the same you know i mean there was nothing too robust about them they looked very young um some looked stressed some didn't but there's a kind of a perfect storm here with the amount of rain that came through this spring during planting season and the root systems didn't get deep like they would normally get. And they're all kind of shallow now and then it turns off hot where we're seeing the stuff we're seeing now and that it could be some issues. But the one thing I've noticed about the market here of late, uh, the soybean market has taken a back seat to, to the corn market and i I don't know, the last time I actually heard someone talk about soybeans in depth. So talk yeah. about the soybean market and what you see
2: happening there. And it just seems like it's just kind of there, and nobody knows what to do with it. Yeah, I think that's a good way of putting it, and and I, and I agree 100%. So we're so focused right now, um, especially on beans, but to a certain extent on corn, on the demand side, right? And this uh, trade war has escalated, and um, you know it kind of looks like it's morphed into a currency war. Right. And um, so China's, you know, saying, "Okay, we're we're done with you. We're not taking. We're going to take what we've, you know, committed to it up to this point, but we're not buying any more uh, agricultural goods uh, from the United States." And so that hits the hits the bean market, right? And and corn to a lesser extent. Demand there is an issue on that. I, I, I'll be first to admit our exports aren't very good in corn, um, and they're abysmal in beans. And so the market's focused on the demand side, but it, it quietly forgets about the other half of the equation and that's the supply side. And um, it, you know, if you overlay a map of where it was the wettest this spring with where the driest there, it's like perfectly coincide. It just lays over where it's the driest right now was where it was the wettest this spring. So that's the worst combination you can have mud a crop in, in terrible conditions. Uh, I mean, terrible meaning, you know, you've heard the story, stories and seen the pictures on Twitter, planners getting stuck, buried. You haven't, you know, literally had producers pulling the, uh, the, the planter tractor, um, with a chain and another tractor to get it through the field. Um, and now you've turned off dry in those areas and the market just really is forgetting that with the right, scenario, if you see much of a cut in acreage on corn, and then eventually see yields, you know, three, four five bushels lower, you can theoretically uh, make a case you could just whack 800 million to a billion bushels off a of corn carryout. Uh, now, that's going to be offset with lower demand. But my point is the supply side quickly overwhelms the demand side. Um, same thing on beans. We're, we're focused on, oh, you know, China's not buying any beans. And but I tell you what, you 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 take four or five bushels off of uh, bean yields, which in my mind is very possible, um, especially if we don't start getting rain real quickly right. um, in the eastern corn belt, you know, the supply side overwhelms the cut in demand. Eventually, and, and here's in the back of my mind as well, this trade war escalated, right? We're going to ramp up tariffs. They're going to, um, you know, China's going to let their currency um, devalue against the dollar this thing probably is going to scream to, I shouldn't say scream to, it's probably going to speed up the process of which we get some sort of an agreement. Uh, here just this morning, there was a, um, a, uh, an inflation uh, reading uh, out of China. So, like Their food inflation's up. I think it was a record amount, like 9%. Um, they have a little bit of social unrest there in, in Hong Kong. That is the last thing that the Communist Party in China wants. If you read a history book, the one thing they want is stable food and happy citizens. Yeah. And when you get the combination of incre- you know, unhappy citizens and can't get food or have to pay, you know, too much for food, bad combination for a uh, a centralized communist government. Yeah. So, um, you know, the pressure may be on them to even though they're posturing uh that uh, they're in it for the long haul and they're gonna, you know, fire back, um the Conditions are there to get some sort of an agreement, and then no one's counting on that, right? So, you just got a lot of things here with what's going on in the field, potential yield cuts. We don't know where acreage is. Um, if we get a trade, uh, you know, agreement at some point in here, uh, you can just wave a magic wand and literally with a tweet or you know, overnight change the the name of the game in this thing. And, uh, and I in the bean market, especially, no one is prepared for that. You know, the funds are still short. A big amount, um, not massive, not record, but fifty-five, sixty thousand contracts. Um, you get them saying, oh, "Okay, now now beans might have some upside. Let's get out of our shorts. Let's get long." And you put a buck and a half on beans in a heartbeat if you get the right conditions. That's a big if, but uh, one of the conditions may be in the process of, like you said, uh, being played out right now. And that's just production. I mean, I just it's hard for me to fathom how beans. Can be very good given, you know, where they're at. And I was doing not to get too long-winded here. The the um, they they put out for years and years and years the vegetated health index uh, and the maps. And if you if you compare this year um, to 2012, everybody's saying like, well, it's not. It hasn't been that hot and dry, and it looks a lot like 2012. I, I I don't know the technology behind it, but here's my my take on this. And and you hit the nail on the head. As I drive by beans, um, I cut through the country every day. I drive kind of the same route. These beans just aren't growing, and if if that truly is some sort of a satellite, um, you know, imagery of number one, it's measuring how much vegetation's out there, right? Well, if you have beans that literally you're still seeing dirt down the rows, and they're knee high versus you know last year they're chest high, right there. If it's measuring vegetative growth, you got at least fifty percent less vegetation in bean fields right. at this time of year than you did a year ago. And it's not going to get any better because these the rows aren't going to close. You've got cornfields that are starting to kind of dry down and get a crispy look over here um, that you normally get, you know, kind of late August into September. But it's too early for that, right, on this late planted stuff. So that's going to be lessening because, you know, plants are kind of starting to dry down because they don't have enough moisture. And um, I don't know what it means to yield, but I'm not an agronomist. Um, I wouldn't even claim to be that smart. but you know, you put two and two together and I don't know how we can expect uh, these massive yields that the market seems to, to think we're going to have this year. Right. Yeah. No, it's, it's,
0: I don't know. I'm the same way. I see, I hear what the USDA is putting out and I hear what some of these independent um, people are putting out as far as yields go and stuff like that. And I'm, I'm not an agronomist. I'm just a guy with podcast, and I tell you, it doesn't look like it's going to be much to me. So, take it for what it's worth.
2: Yeah. Though. And, and, you know, I know corn has fooled us before, right? I mean, you've yeah, planted right. it late, but everything's gone. You know, that's what people forget. It's like the, the times that you plant beans on June 28th and they make 55 bushels, it's happened. Right. Um, you've planted corn on, uh, you know, June 10th and it's made 200 bushels. It has happened, but everything went right from the okay. time they did that until the time they harvested it. And it's not like that. In in fact, it's continuing to go wrong, right? It's, it's dry. You know, just the conditions are wrong this year to have that anomaly of, yeah, everything's great. You know, we planted corn on June 14th and, you know, made 210 bushels and our beans were 60. And, you know, we planted those June 24th and everything's perfect. Yeah. Just not going to happen. Right, yeah, it's, it's crazy year for sure. All right, so
0: all the stuff that we have happened here in the corn market um, and, and the soybean market, with with just absolute uncertainty there, um, that's throwing some caution over onto the uh, into the cattle complex, especially what we see happen in the last two or three days in the stock market, and how it's kind of um, rallied and you know ups and downs of the peaks that they've had. Um, a lot of folks out there trying to source some silage right now, uh, see an opportunity to get some silage or some of this late planted corn. And some of the conditions we see out there, so the cattle market has been all over the place as well. It's been up and down, and, and same with the hog market's been limited up and limit down several times in the last couple of weeks. So talk about the protein complex and what you see happening there.
2: Yeah, so the cattle market is uh, really kind of stabilized in here. Uh, I, I think the best can be said about cattle is we're building a nice sideways base here. Um, yeah, we're uh, you know, in a rally two or three bucks, it'll sell off two or three bucks. We're kind of going sideways here which is a good sign. I think the funds are mostly out of their long position. Uh, that's that's good. That means if you get some friendly news, we could start seeing, um, you know, funds pour some money back in on the long side in, in cattle. Um, so I, I think that we're in a, in a good spot in cattle, but you need to see the cash market start rallying. And it's that time of year to, to kind of start seeing um, cash, uh, you know, not rally uh, in a massive way, but at least start trending a little bit higher. And I think that could you know, mean a nice uh, 5 to $8 rally um, in cattle. Obviously, the economy and the world economy, uh, the cattle market kind of watches. Uh, the hog market, like I mentioned, is just uh, it, it's a train wreck right now. We've had massive sell-off, heavy selling because of the lack of progress and the escalation of the trade war. Um, you know, and it's going to surprise you, right? I mean, right now, it just feels like we're going to zero in hogs. Um, China's not going to take any more uh, pork, so they say. Uh, although they were there on Thursday for a small amount, we continue to ship them fairly uh, large amounts of previously purchased U.S. port. But I think this inflation number out of China today um, and the unrest they have going on—you th- can only go so long, right? And um, you know, I think there's some things at work uh, internally in China that eventually they're going to be. They, there's no question in my mind that they're going to have to import large amounts. Um, of of pork from somewhere in the world, right? And we're the most stable, largest supply. So that may be way down the road. Uh, but I, I think this thing in, in China really uh, could breathe some life back into hogs eventually. But right now, boy, it is, um, it's just ugly. I mean, you don't need much of an excuse and hogs are limit down. I uh, really don't need any excuse. And it's been an ugly, ugly sell off in hogs. But longer term, I think we're probably at a, at a value area in hogs, uh, but that doesn't mean we rally um, either. It means hopefully we can kind of like we're doing in the cattle market stabilize. Maybe we're slopping around here. Maybe you're still going to see some limit up limit down days, but you kind of build a base here of maybe, you know, six or $8 where we just go sideways, take a breather and kind of, you know, build for the next move higher. Hopefully uh, with some Chinese buying at some point down the road here. Right. Yeah. The, the China thing, me
0: you up. Know- they're right. They they announced the other day that we're not going to buy anything else from China and or from the U.S. and and so on and so forth. But you know they're best friends with with the with South American growing countries. And sooner or later they're going to run out, right? And there's there's a finite amount of supply. It's not an endless thing down there anywhere. You know there's growing cycles that have to take place. So whether they want to or not, sooner or later China going to have to come buy something from us, whether it's beef or hogs or corn or soybeans or whatever it is they're gonna have to come buy from us it might not be in the same amount that they bought in the past and they may be just bridging that gap till the next brazilian crop comes through or whatever the argentine crop comes through whatever it is but they will have to eventually come buy from it the sooner or later south american countries are going to say you know we got to feed our own people too here china so just yeah we're done we can't sell you anymore and that's going to be uh that's going to be a hard line to saying that and they're going to. I mean, obviously, those those farmers are going to be wanting to run that right up to that last possible minute that they can do that. So it will yeah. be interesting to we'll watch to see what happens.
2: That's a good point, and and like on back on the corn side too. Sure, there you know, Ukraine and Russia have some corn uh, for exports. Argentina, and Brazil have some corn for export. If you look at a at a pie chart of what um, the total production and supply of corn is in the world, I mean, it, it's United States, and, and by the way, I think it's been pretty proven that. The supply chain is, is probably um, the best of anywhere. And the quality, uh, arguably, is the best of anywhere. Um, but if you look at this, the, just the supply of corn in the world, and there's like, everybody says, oh, you know, Argentina corn is 35 cents cheaper than the United States. Okay, that's true, but they're going to run out eventually. And, you know, when they do, where's the world going to come for corn? It's here. And, oh, by the way, in five months um my brain tells me that the total production on paper is going to be you know less on corn and beans uh than than it is currently and then you get this panic and you know it's just a psychological thing uh, hog markets the same way and uh you know interestingly enough and i'm not an expert by any stretch on the logistics of you know meat exports there was a pretty healthy uh, sale of us beef to Hong Kong, um, on this past Thursday's, uh, export sales report. Right. So, yeah. And then, you know, some of these countries like, uh, some of these other Asian countries, you know, their capita beef, um, uh, consumptions, you know, like 10 times what it is in the United States. So yeah. it, it's going to make it, whether it's actually China buying it or it makes nine stops by the time it ends up, um, in China, it, it's getting there uh, one way or the other, and it's demand. No matter who buys it, it it's it's demand. So it's coming, I believe, in the uh, in the protein sector on the meat side. Oh, well, absolutely agree
0: with you, Chip. All right, Chip, folks want to reach out to you and work on that plan because right now is a great time to have that plan in place and be working that plan with all the volatility out there and watching what your what your margins are and what your uh, break-evens are. Uh, folks got a plan they're working on or need some help putting one together.
2: What's the best way for them to get a hold of you? Yeah, best way is just call our office, 309-550-7213. Uh, again, love, love to chat with you. Um, a little bit of a lull here, uh, you know, ahead of, ahead of harvest. So from a, from a row crop operation standpoint, uh, it's perfect time to be, uh, you know, building the plan if you don't have one, because things are going to get real dicey here. Uh, and obviously, uh, the livestock side, there's a little more, uh, you know, it's, it's busy all the time, but, uh, that, that's a, a, another reason to have a plan because, uh, uh, you know, when you get caught up and it's day to day out there uh, busy, you, you got to have a plan. So we'd love to chat with you. Yeah, and also
0: working that plan, maybe call it to tweak that plan a little bit depending on what you see happening out there. So a lot of a lot of moving parts out there. Yeah, it's,
2: a lot of people have you know do do the plan in in the winter time frame. Uh, you know, kind of doing some business planning, um, uh, you know, risk management plan, and that's great. That's a great time of year, but it's a perfect point, right? Things change. Uh, trade war going on. Production changes both on your farm and you know in in the uh, entire Corn Belt and the world. uh So yeah, you got to it's a living, breathing document, and you have to update that and you know have it front and center and be ready to tweak it. And and then more importantly, once you have that plan, you got to execute it. That's the hardest part. The plan's the easy part. The execution is the hard part. Right on. All right, Chip. Well, have yourself a good weekend, and we'll talk to you again soon. Sounds good, everybody. Uh, fasten your seatbelts for Monday. It's going to be interesting. Looking forward to it, man. All right. Have a good weekend. You too. See ya.
0: Hello and welcome to Moving Iron Podcast number 147. Today my guest is Sean Skaggs. And Sean Skaggs is with Livingston Machinery down in what, probably the western half of Oklahoma and over into the Texas Panhandle. Is that about right?
3: That's correct. Uh, Yeah, we're in western Oklahoma and they're in the Texas Panhandle. We've got uh, four locations that are spread out kind of in the corners of that area. Right on.
0: Okay, so... You've had a kind of a, a, a just about like everybody else out here. You've had a pretty interesting year with your growers and what that looks like. So, this fall you had some planting delays with winter, with winter, with rain and and those kind of things, and and uh, rolled right into this spring with some some more rain on top of that. So, talk about the, some of the challenges that you've had so far this year, and and what kind of your customer response has been to those challenges
3: well um you know the big challenges that we've run into have to do with weather just like with everybody else Um, we had so much rain back in the spring we actually ended up getting about twice as much as our annual rainfall there in about a three or four month period and so we've had tons of rain lots of flooding like everybody's had um you know the big effects that it had on our producers are number one that they couldn't get in the fields uh whether it be planting corn or planting cotton they couldn't get in the fields in time to do that. Uh, most of them still ended up getting some kind of crop in there, but it was all put in late. Uh, the other big effect that it had on us was trying to get uh, some crops out of the field. So a lot of our wheat producers were planning on cutting their wheat for hay uh, because of the way that wheat prices were at the time. They felt like they were better off to go ahead and put that into hay. And uh, whenever they got an open window to go in there and cut hay, they'd go in and cut it and think, that, you know, surely it can't rain forever, but... Lo and behold, it did. It would come in and rain for two or three weeks after they get their hay cut and it would just turn it into a big mess out there in the field and they'd lose that entire hay crop of, or basically their entire wheat crop by doing that. Um, we also had a lot of producers, you know, alfalfa producers, uh, that would go in and they, they basically lost their first cutting and some of them their second cutting as well, uh, because of all the rains and just being delayed. And, uh, it would just, it just seemed like it would never stop raining there for a while. And then whenever we got to the end of that rainy period, we've now had enough consecutive days without rain and with lots of heat and wind that we're back into drought conditions, uh, even to the point that our uh, a lot of our producers have planted some summer crops that never even germinated, never came up, because we couldn't get them to, to enough moisture. You couldn't plant deep enough to get the moisture. Uh, which is something that I certainly never expected. I thought we'd have enough moisture to last us for two years, but, right. uh, not the case. Yeah. And so that's been a challenge for them, but, you know, the way they've responded to it is, uh, a lot of them have gone out and purchased hay equipment because hay is the one thing that they can go out and you know, kind of produce immediately and create some revenue, you know, with all the other challenges that they've got facing them right now, they need to create some cash flow. And one way they can do that is to go out there in that, in those grass fields, um, and cut some hay, bale it, and then they've got something that they can sell. In fact, we've seen people, uh, that are basically window on the bar ditches. Um, they're bailing up everything they can find right now. And they're also. pushing those machines a lot harder than what they normally do because they've had such a narrow window and because they're trying to get so much done. And so that's really driven our parts and service business as
0: well. So as you take a look at at what we have coming down the pipe here, so you look at kind of right now moving through through the end of the year, you know, cattle prices have kind of bounced around all over the place. Obviously commodity prices have bounced all over the place. Um, Seems like um, wheat bushels have been good protein seems to be on the on the lean side this year so i guess when you look at those kind of things out there do you feel pretty positive about moving towards the end of the year above and beyond what you see happen in the hay market or do you do you feel like there might be some some negative repercussions here of of kind of some just various various uh word i'm looking for here various uh things kind of headwinds and stuff that we're running into
3: well, I mean, right now we have no reason to believe that it's not going to still end on a positive note. Everything still seems to be going positively, even beyond our hay sales. Our tractor sales have have been up over the last couple of months, um, really surprisingly so. And so, right now, it looks like everything's going to be positive going into the fall. But I'm, I'm like uh, you probably are too, Casey. Is i just kind of waiting for that other shoe to drop because we, they do have so many challenges that they're facing, and, and we all know that you know, all it takes is the wrong tweet or uh, yeah. or who knows what to to kind of send this thing tumbling. And so we're kind of trying to stay really cautious and be prepared for that to happen. Um, but we've got great momentum going into the fall, and so we're hoping that that's going to carry through. Uh, you know, one of the things that we did to try and make sure that we were ready for this is we, we positioned ourselves, sort of our inventory position, we positioned ourselves really well. Um, we've actually, you know, thinned out a lot of our... H inventory and uh and our inventory is actually running really lean right now but we feel better about running lean than we do running heavy even though there's a lot of opportunity at the moment just because like i said earlier we're just kind of waiting for that other shoe to drop uh and whenever it does we're not, we don't want to be caught with a lot of inventory on hand that we're going to for a long
0: time yeah now I, I think you know both and i both you and i were at the uh, dealer mine summit and we were you know i'm sure we had plenty of conversations to to have with a bunch of folks out there and, and a lot of the same stuff you and I just talked about here. I mean, I think I'm in the same camp as you are. I, I'm cautiously optimistic about about what happens towards the end of the year and what all that looks like. Um, you know, you just take a look at the grain markets right now. I mean, holy crap, it's been, um, uh, it's talk about a roller coaster ride. And over the last three weeks, we we'll had this run up to, you know, corn, for example, run up to corn on December contracts up there at 450, 452 on the board. Um, basis prices have, have been really aggressive here of late, so you know you start looking at some marketing opportunities earlier this year between 415 and 425 in a lot of places. So that was a great deal, but today's market, I mean, it, it's it's bouncing around four bucks. So we've lost about 52 cents, 50 cents, something like that, over the uh, over the course of the, uh, the last three weeks. You know, wheat spend is doing the same thing, kind of bouncing around. Cattle have been doing the same thing, kind of bouncing around. There's just so much volatility in the marketplace. It's either going to be really, really, really good or really, really, really bad, and I feel like there's not going to be a lot in between. So, when you're talking with the with your growers out there and your producers out there, what what kind of what kind of sentiments are they giving you? Are they giving you like, hey, you know, we kind of feel positive about what's going on, or is it more that kind of cautious optimism?
3: I think they're, most of them are in the camp of cautious optimism. I mean, some of them have have still, through all the challenges, have had a pretty good year. um, But they know that uh, the whole thing is just pretty fragile at the moment as far as the ag economy goes. And so they're they're pretty much cautiously optimistic. Uh, A a lot of what's driving them to to replace things is is just, you know, the fact that they've got a lot of H machines out there. There are a lot of uh, producers that normally you know, would trade machines every year or every other year uh, that have now been sitting on their machines for three and four years and uh, they're just at the point where they want to go ahead and replace because they don't want the breakdowns, you know, they, they're afraid of what's going to happen if they, or what kind of crops they could lose if they had a, a failure with their machine and so uh, you know, that replacement cycle has really been a, a driving factor uh, more so than what I expected, yep. uh, people are, are are really active out there as far as uh, replacing some of the things that they haven't replaced for a long time. You know, tillage equipment is another great example of that. Um, you know, we haven't seen very much activity on tillage equipment over the last three years, uh, but all of a sudden we've got a lot of activity on tillage equipment and even on some seeding equipment again. Yep.
0: I will echo those settlements, man. I will tell you what, you take a look at what's getting traded in right now, and we've talked about it on there several times, and it feels like everyone's kind of trading in the same thing. They've got you know our ranges and and you know the the machines are trading in and things like that. So, um, I, I I have my concerns about what that looks like coming in towards the end of the year and and what that does to the markets and those kind of things as far as used equipment go. But you're exactly right on the tillage thing, man. I there for a while I've done. It was just we couldn't give away a piece of tillage new, and now we're looking at um guys that are really showing up and looking at some different stuff and I think a lot of guys that we talk with that we have out here are really starting to adopt that the high speed i don't know high speed farming i guess is the best way to put it, you know whether it's tillage or planting or whatever you know they're they're trying to do as much as they can as fast as they can, and that's really starting to creep into to our kind of lexicon lexion here, lexicon here at, uh, out here. And with, we start talking with customers. So are you seeing a similar pattern where guys are looking at bigger, faster machines or, or has that, have you felt
3: that pressure yet in your area? We haven't really felt a lot of that pressure yet. I mean, we are, you know, like everybody, we've got a lot of people that are moving more and more towards the, the vertical tills and, and some things like that. And there's a few of those high speed machines, that are creeping into our area, but uh, it's not been as much. You know, I hear a lot about it from uh, from the guys up in the Midwest, and mm-hmm. we just haven't heard that same kind of activity on those machines down here. Uh, now that may be coming. We all know tillage is a very trendy product, so whatever right. the trend of the day is is what's going to be hot for a few years. But, um, but I don't think we've seen it as much down here as what they have in a lot of places north of us.
0: Yeah. No, I think there's a uh, – it's a uh – the high speed discs are, are the one thing that I think are going to be something to pay attention to. And it's years like this that we have, you know, whether it was the fall or whether it was the, uh, the winter or, or planting season or whatever it was when, when there's always a stress time window to get stuff either out of the field or in the field, um, the demand for, oh, next year I'm definitely buying the high-speed this or I'm buying that or whatever it is that could could have made it easier dur- during that, that window they had, and we're starting to see that. So, you know, planter sales, I think, are up kind of across the board everywhere um, in, in certain pockets and, and maybe even nationally, but a lot of that stuff is getting switched over to that, that high-speed thing. So it'll be interesting to see how that plays out through the end of the year.
3: Uh, that makes a lot of sense. Let, let me ask you, Casey, because you're you're the expert here on uh, used equipment and inventory management. I mean, as like you were saying earlier, we're seeing a lot of the same machines being traded in, right? The, right? the machines that are all in the same age range in the same hour range. You know, what are some of the things that you're doing to try and plan for that to make sure that you don't get caught with way too many of the of the same machine?
0: Yeah. Well, I appreciate you you calling me an expert, but I'll I'll have to step out of the room and get the expert to bring him in here because it's, I I'm a I'm a I'm kind of fumbling my way through this myself. But so when I look at this combines are one of those things that, that I think are on everybody's mind, and and they're always are. If you're in a combine market area, you sell a lot of combines. Combines are are used combines are always a top of mind uh, piece of equipment. Um, yeah, when I look at those and I see where they're at. I feel like there is a the market has kind of hit that saturation point because when you look at when you look at auctions um, for the most part they're pretty consistent. They've been that way for the past two or three months. They've been pretty consistent about what the auction value is, and no one's really arguing it, right? When someone comes in, you can always tell when when you've hit a new high or a new low because when you come in and say, "Hey, you know, this is the value," farmers always argue with you about your value, but at the same time you can tell when they've kind of accepted that value because they don't argue as much or as hard. And I think we've hit that point. So it tells me that that auction value for 12, 13, 14 model combines are, are pretty much where everyone thinks they should be, right? Um, what are we trying to do to offset that? And we talked about it in out there at the Dealer Mindset I think just the easiest way to do it is you start looking at what are your top <clears> – <throat> top units you got to get rid of and and you start building programs around those (coughs) around those programs i have my i have my reservations about the auction market moving towards the end of the year and what that looks like um there could be several of those machines that get pushed into auction um just because of um the number that are getting getting turned back in right now in trade um and what that looks like i think you could see a dip in there and there could be a a bit of a balloon popping i guess for lack of a better term um when you look at but I mean that's all speculation uh, up to this point. So there's been a, an accelerated amount of uh, inventory on the marketplace for the past 18 months, and in, in that specific um, hour range, that 15, whatever you want to call it, 1,250 separator hour combine up to that 2,000 separator hour combine, um, there's been a, there's been a fair amount of those on the marketplace. So and that hasn't really changed they haven't grown and they haven't shrank They've just kind of been there so that tells you that there's something going on um in that area so um i have my concerns about about the end of the year and what auction value looks like but the same hand i always have a concern at the end of the year what auction value looks like because that's the peak time that stuff gets put on auction so um it'll be interesting to see how it plays out um and how it moves i'm still waiting on the navy to get back to me i got a self-propelled anchor program i'm trying to implement with them but they haven't they haven't (laughs) responded like like i thought they would but so hopefully that'll go through but i don't know i think it's just kind of a wait and see thing i think you have to really kind of measure what you're doing and and see where you're at and and make those decisions moving forward so you know just
3: Talking about managing inventory there i mean do you do you kind of look at your historical sales and see what kind of capacity you've got for those kind of machines and put a cap on the number that you're going to create for, or can you even use historical sales after the last you know four or five years that we've been through mm-hmm. to tell you very much of anything right now
0: yeah I think for us we've been consistent over the last three years i mean within a, an acceptable range anyway of of the number of used combines that we sold um We've we've been we've never really been really high or really low comparatively on a on an average scale. So, I think we could take a look and easily see where we're going to be. at. I don't really think, if anything, we're going to go up this year and use combine sales more than we'll go down. I think we have a better probability of selling more than we did um, last year, um, just because of, of the the market conditions that we're in and what we're seeing happening. But <clears throat> to your point, if, if if commodity prices continue to do what they're doing. My fear is that, again, towards the end of the year and then that buying cycle and what that looks like, we could have a mad rush to the door um, to come in and buy stuff at the end of the year because now all of a sudden we're starting to see that jump. The August crop report is going to have such a huge a huge deal in what happens with the overall market conditions moving forward through the end of the year. I mean, if that thing comes in and it says, oh, nope, nope, we're right, you know, it, there's no, everything got planned like it should have been planted and... There's the prevent plant one. is wasn't what we thought it was going to be, and da 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 da. That's going to that's going to be so much volatility to the downside. I can't. I mean, we're, we'll probably be worse than where we were at when when this whole thing started. But if it's the flip of that, and you start talking about some guys out there that are talking about seventy eight million acres of uh, of harvest, and and the planted acres are or, you know eighty one eighty two million stuff like that. That that's a huge swing from what the USDA is saying. So if you if you factor that in. To what's going to happen, and that actually comes out to be the way they see it, um, you're going to see some upward trend, and and hold on to your hold on to your uh, your pants there because it's going to take off and run. So, uh, managing inventory for us, kind of uh, to answer your question here, to, an- to manage that inventory for us, we got to make sure we have the machines priced correctly moving into the to the to this buying cycle that we're going to start seeing here. I mean, here it's August 1st, so this is one of our peak. You know, from now through the end of the year, you're starting to see that ramp up of of what that looks like. So, we're we're definitely going to make sure we got things priced correctly. We're going to make sure that we have any uh, any hanger-ons out there that we we take care of those things and, and cut those uh, safety lines on those machines and and move things forward. So it's a it's a multifaceted you know inventory management strategy that you have to have. One looking at what you think is going to happen at the end of the year, and then what is your What's your overall goal? What I mean, how, how are you going to increase your turn, and, and how are you going to increase that cash flow into your dealership? So I think I think that's what we're looking at now, and, and move and make sure that we've got the right mix of machines in the right spot, and then the excess stuff. What are we going to do with it? And that's that's where we're at, focusing right now.
3: Yeah, and I think the last thing you said was is something that's really affected us over the last few years is having the right mix of machines. You know, uh, our problems, our biggest problems, weren't necessarily the machines that uh, are the bread and butter for our area. Our biggest problems were typically the machines that we took in were that either the weren't right, weren't the right mix for our dealership in particular, or weren't the right mix for uh, for our particular area. Those machines that were just a little bit of an oddball uh, throughout the last few years, whenever our producers have. in a cash flow crunch those machines all of a sudden are a really big oddball and they're really a fish out of water and 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 a problem and hard to move so that's one thing that we're trying to do a lot better job of is not end up with those oddball pieces
0: yep and i will say this i think one one thing that we do i I have a i have a gentleman that works for me and he he measures all kinds of stuff for me and one thing he does is he he, we track on internet in each you know each machine category, whether it's combines or real crop tractors or four wheel drives or whatever it is, the number of units by manufacturer by in an hour range, right? So from zero to three hundred, how many, you know, whatever John Deere four wheel drives and, and and uh New Holland four wheel drives and case four wheel. how many, many four wheel drives are, are gonna are in that mix um and what that what does that look like? So if there's whatever, a thousand machines that that are in that mix, how many of them are zero to three hundred, how many of them are you know, 300 to 500 and so on and so forth down the line. And it starts to paint a pretty big picture of what that looks like. So you can kind of guess when you start seeing machines that have got five, six, seven thousand hours on them, you can kind of get a rough guess of what year those are when you start doing the math of, you know, typical hour-a-year type of stuff. Same with combines, same with row crop tractors, so on and so forth. And you start looking at that market segment, as a whole, and then we compare it to what we see happen in our inventory, and then we start making decisions on kind of back to that product mix. It's not necessarily the number of units that you have, but it's it's what you have that, that, that's a desirable amount of, of a desirable machine, whether it be like a combine, for example. How many machines do you have that are under 500 hours? How many machines do you have that are between 500 and 750? And how many do you have that are you know 750 to 1250? And then you start comparing that mix to the mix that you're tracking out here on a on a North American grand scale and where do you fall into that at? And for the most part it's it's the it's the same reflection that you see out there. Everyone people are trading in on the heavy side of that of the higher hour side and they want the lower the lower model or the lower hour stuff out there. And that's that's where you gotta figure out that mix and what that mix needs to be and how, how are you going to place yourself in in, in the marketplace? And then and the stuff that you know you can't sell, you got to start making some pretty tough decisions about what it is you're going to do with those pieces. And that that's uh, that's the uh, the discipline and and the
3: uh, art of, of used equipment, I think. Yeah. Well, and that brings to mind uh, something else that uh, that we've seen over the last few years. And, and you can tell me if you guys saw the same thing. But for a long time, you know, the best piece that we could have on the yard was a really low hour late model machine and no matter what you were talking about um if it was low hour and late model those were great machines to have they moved really fast and then whenever the bottom fell out of the market a few years ago that completely shifted and all of a sudden those machines were really hard to move and some of your you know higher hour four and five-year-old machines were actually kind of all of a sudden the really desirable machine and we're starting to see that shift again and, and now all of a sudden that low hour light model machine has become a really desirable machine again uh, have you seen kind of the same thing in your area
0: yeah yeah we're, we're seeing the same thing i think that you know real crop tractor under a thousand hours is, is a pretty desirable piece 500 hours or less too is even more desirable i think in a lot of in a lot of realms um but, yeah, you're right. I mean, there was there was a time where – I'll give you a good example. Some of these, uh, <clears throat> like for us, like a 9770 combine, for example, first half of the year, first three months of the year, I, we could have sold a million of those things, I think, if we had them sitting on the lot. And here of late, now that commodity prices have kind of come up a little bit, there's a little more certainty in the marketplace. A lot of folks are looking at the S-series combine, older S-series combines, as – as that secondary combine or that backup combine, or they're trading their 50 or 60 series combine in and moving up to one of those. Cause realistically, they're not that far away on price when you start really looking at the nuts and bolts of, of what you see out there. So yeah, it, there, there has been a, a, a definitely a move in, you know, I think in, in appetite, you know, of, of what, uh, of what flavor they're looking for out there right now. That's definitely moved towards the,
3: the, uh, the lower hour end of that. Yeah, that, that's what we've seen is uh, you know, and and it's like you said, they're, they're seeing a little bit more stability in the market. And I don't even know if it's as much stability in the market as it is stability in their own operations, where they right. figured out where their expenses have to be to be profitable now, and they've been able to have enough time to make those adjustments. And so now they they have a better feel for exactly what they can spend. I think.
0: Yep. and I think so too. I mean, you take a look at a lot of these guys too. There's opportunities to grow out there right now that weren't there three or four years ago. um with retirements and, and and you know guys just flat up not getting financed and those kind of things, there's a lot of opportunities out there for some guys that have positioned themselves very well over the last three or four years and being conservative about their cash flow and those kind of things that now they have some opportunities to grow. And I think we're seeing that in our area. Are you seeing that down there in your part of the world?
3: Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, there's a ton of consolidation that's going on. Um, we've got a lot of uh, over... Uh, producers that are trying to figure out a way that they can get out, whether that be leasing their land to their neighbor next door or you know farm sale or, or whatever, um, we're seeing a lot of consolidation out there, and, and it actually you know has got us really worried about the used equipment market because we had started we've seen for the last few years a, a slow decline in our used equipment sales. And so we were seeing that and seeing all the consolidation in the market and thinking these guys are just getting bigger and they're going to have to have more new machines and they're going to move further and further away from use. So what do we do with used? And then this year comes along and all of a sudden, uh, you know, we sell almost everything used we had on the lot. Yeah. And, you know, cleaned up a lot for us. And, and, uh, you know, we were, we did a lot to be prepared for that. But at the same time, it was a lot of it was just sheer luck. The market changed and changed in our favor in that regard. Yeah. Um and so we were able to clean up a lot of that used but i still over the long term i wonder what kind of effect that's going to have on the used market and how we're going to have to shift over the next 10 years in order to deal with all the consolidation that goes on because whenever there's no you know small and mid-sized guys left out there and it's all the big guys then uh it's going to make it pretty tough to move some of those used machines especially the ones that are In that four and
0: five year old range. Yep, yep, absolutely, and that that's the one of my biggest concerns we have as well. You know, we've got we've got farmers in our area that have grown considerably over the last you know three, four, five years, and you look and see who they've who they've what land they've taken over, who's retired, and those kind of things. And and unfortunately, a lot of guys that they're that they're now farming their land, they those were the guys that were also buying that guy's trade in piece, you know, and. So now yeah. we're now we're up against that and to your point I think you got a valid point there. And I've talked about it, <clears throat> Aaron and I have talked about that <clears throat> excuse me pretty extensively here the last couple of years. Um and my used equipment manager, Chad Pratt we talked about that quite a bit too. That what's it look like when you start taking a uh, and you're stepping back and looking at okay, so now we've got a guy that would buy one or two of these, these used pieces and this guy'd buy one or two of those used pieces and he'd buy one and he'd buy one and he'd buy one. And, buy one. and we had a pretty good flow going there, um, what's that look like? And the other thing we're starting to line we're starting to see in in our area is as machines are getting bigger, implements are getting bigger, and hydraulic demands are starting to get higher, and and just the overall size and weight of what you're looking at, I mean, you start pulling around a 60-foot air seater and a 600 or 700-bushel cart behind that, I mean, just, just the horsepower you need just to make the thing move is is one thing then you got to add the hydraulic demand on top of that. you start running into some different machines than you would normally see out there in the marketplace, and then that creates a whole nother animal of well what 's a secondary or tertiary market look like for a sixty foot air seater and a seven hundred bushel cart those are some Those are some questions you got to start asking and, and and who that person's going to be so there 's a lot of a lot of balls up in the air right now that are when they drop it 's going to be amazing to see what that bounce looks like
3: yeah that's something that we've definitely seen as well and usually it happens for us more with kind of the specialty machines um that we've sold over the years but uh, you know definitely there's some machines out there that you're going to sell new uh, to those guys that are huge or that are custom operators they're mm-hmm. running those machines 24 hours a day Yeah. but uh, that mid-sized guy who would be the the next step in the in kind of the train of of that machine's life, they have no use for a machine that size. Right? You know, it's just too big. Yep. And so then you 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 got kind of this albatross, and even though you try and explain to the customer up front, you know, this machine is is not going to have a great resale value. It's going to do a great job, and it's going to perform, and it's going to have enormous capacity. But whenever you get ready to trade it in, you know, be ready for a high operating cost. Mm-hmm. Um, and but. You know, it everybody still comes into that situation thinking oh well that may be how it is for everybody else but it won't be for me yeah. and uh and so it's a tough situation to deal with
0: yep it'll be interesting to see the next five years of agriculture especially on the equipment side of the business are going to be be interesting to see what they do um just because of you know we're still farming the same number of acres um you know we used, we have some we have some loss out there to some housing develops in urban areas and those kind of things but in you know rural america in in the heart of rural america we're still farming the same number of acres, whether it's you know crop production or you know cattle production or hog production or whatever it is We're still doing that but it's it's under the the size of that farmer's getting bigger and uh, the more acres are covering and more cows they got and those kind of things so um it's going to be it's going to be exciting to see what happens i'm i'm looking forward to it i think it's going to be a good challenge out there and i think every day we take that step closer to what uh, kind of a we're resembling and starting to kind of morph into what we see happen in the construction side of the business where uh it's just uh it's a it's a per use basis you know there's uh, you, I mean, you, you you speak to this, Sean, a little bit, but I, I, my opinion of how guys are viewing their equipment right now—it's not the same way it was, you know, 20 years ago. It's a it's a tool that I'm using on my farm to get a job done, and there's not that emotional attachment out there that that we used to see, you know, 10, 15 years ago. It's starting to kind of morph into a a different mindset. Is that? Would you agree with that?
3: Yeah, I would. And I think some of that has to do with, uh, almost some, some cultural changes or some generational changes. You know, that's one thing that I've seen as some of these, you know, we kind of, I know in our area anyway, there was kind of a generation skip. It was really more my generation, uh, skipped in the ones that went back to the farm. You know, you had a right. generation of, you got a generation of guys out there that are in there. Uh, 60s right now, and you've got a generation of guys out there that are in their 30s and younger
1: right.
3: out there, but that generation that would have been in their 40s and early 50s, uh, there's not very many of those guys out there farming in our area. And that whenever that generation that's in their 30s now came back to the farm, they don't have the same kind of attachment to those machines that the other ones were. They're, they're looking at it more from an economic perspective, and they're 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 analyzing it like you said as a tool that they're gonna to use to get a job done. And uh and really they I think that generation does a really good job of seeing kind of the big picture of what they're gonna do and, and making decisions based more on the big picture and making more financial decisions than emotional decisions that we might have saw from from some of the previous generations.
0: Yep. Yeah. yeah. It's the uh they're measuring depreciation and, and overall cost per hour and and all of those those things are, are getting weighed. Not that they didn't get weighed before. I'm not don't, don't get me wrong. I'm not saying that. But what I am saying is that it's a they're really diving into what that metric looks like, and they're really cutting cutting out what needs to be cut out and and, and putting back in what needs to be put back in. So I think there's a there's like you know any generational change that you see on the farm. There's always a new a new mindset that kind of comes into play, and then how we adjust to that it, it, from the industry side is always a is always a challenge, but it's also a fun challenge because you you also change your business and you also change the way you do business and how you approach your customers and those kind of things. So uh, I'm looking forward to it. I think we're going to have a have a fun next couple of years here and and what that looks like, especially with autonomous tractors and and you know working on more automated things on on the farm, whatever it might be. So I think it's going to be a fun next, uh, next five years.
3: Yeah. I love your attitude on that. It's not a problem. It's a challenge. And it's, and, uh, overcoming that challenge is going to be fun. We're going to learn and we're going to grow yep. in the process.
0: And it's like anything else, you know, growing pains always suck. There's always, they hurt, you know, there's always something there that changes or you misstep on something or you miss this or you miss that. But at the end of the day, I mean, hopefully at the end of the day you come out and, and you come out as a bigger, as a better organization, and and you uh, you know move on to the next challenge and start looking at the future. So it's uh it's going to be fun, man. Looking forward to it. Absolutely. All right, Sean. Well, I think we have solved most of the world's problems here. So anything anything else you want to throw out there before we close this episode of the Moving Iron Podcast down?
3: Uh, nothing else that I can think of that I want to throw out there. I just uh, hope everybody has a really good fall and winter and. Uh, this ag economy starts to solidify and and get back on the rise.
0: Right on, man. Well, Sean, if folks want to reach out to you and and ask you some questions or pick your brain about what might be going on. What's the what's the easiest way for them to contact you or and also maybe check out Livingston Machinery?
3: Uh, well, the easiest way to contact me is uh, either you can email me at scag at dot com. Um, you can check out Livingston Machinery at livingstonmachinery.com. And uh, don't be afraid to reach out to me on LinkedIn. That's about the only social media place that I'm really active, uh, but I am active on there and uh, love to connect with you on LinkedIn. Right on.
0: And Skag is, is S-K-A-G-G-S, two Gs. So, Sean, uh, thanks for being on the podcast, man. It's always a pleasure to talk to you, and I'm glad I had the opportunity to catch up with you at the Dealer, Dealer Mind Summit.
3: Yeah, absolutely. Always a pleasure to talk to you
0: as well, Casey. All right, Sean. Take care of yourself. We'll catch you next time. All right. Thank you. Thanks for listening to this edition of the Moving Iron Podcast, now part of the Global Ag Network. If you'd like to continue any of these conversations, you can hit me up on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram at Moving Iron LLC. You can also send me an email at Moving Iron Podcast at com. You can also visit the Moving Iron Podcast YouTube channel and watch Market Roundup with Chip Mellinger, Sean Hackett, and Angie Setzer. Also, Tax News with Glenn Birnbaum. Please visit movingironllc.com. Here you can find information, details, and updates for the 2019 Moving Iron Summit in Nashville, Tennessee. If you'd like to support the podcast, you can leave a review and subscribe at iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher Radio, TuneIn Radio, SoundCloud, and globalagnetwork.com. So until next time, let's go move some iron. This is Casey Seymour. Out.
1: Moving iron in the 21st century. Time and time again, through the years, you'll find us here.